When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Andrew Gillis, and it's another recruiting pod. And off the top, this is going to be a rapid fire pod, but off the top, we got some news. Well, not really news. It happened on Saturday, and you're hearing this on Tuesday, and we're recording this on Monday. So it's not immediate news, but it's just how we do our pods. And we'll use a question from the 937. Any offensive lineman on deck to replace Nave? And the Nave they are referring to is Mark Nave out of Central Catholic High School in Toledo, Ohio, number 643 player, number 44 interior offensive lineman. There was a point when he was the second offensive line commit in the class following Ian Moore about seven or eight months ago. He committed under the idea of lower-rated Ohio kid that they took early because they saw something in him. They saw some upside there. And obviously that upside has not necessarily maybe paid off over the last couple of months here. And so now it's, from my understanding, this is a mutual parting of ways. This is not something that is just, you know, Mark Nave is all of a sudden risen up the ranks and Ohio State lost out on a kid. I don't know. I don't think lost is the word you use here, which brings up a conversation maybe we can have for a later day. But Andrew, I think you've been on this beat for three months now. And I feel like this is the 75th conversation we've had about offensive line recruiting. Is it kind of, do they replace Nave? What's still out there for Ohio State to find in terms of offensive line recruits in this 2024 cycle? Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> like I said, you know, my you mentioned three months, you know, my, my first day, it, it actually hasn't even been three months. Uh, my first pod that I did with you and Nathan was when Kingston Villiamuasa committed to Notre Dame, and I got to see a little bit of a, not a freak out, but a lot of concern about mm-hmm. the level of Ohio State defensive recruiting. And I think that that has continued with Ohio State offensive line recruiting. Um, so I get it. Um, you know, there's there's absolutely a, um, you know, there's there's absolutely something there in terms of, you know, just what Ohio state is doing and, and more accurately maybe isn't doing on the recruiting trail. But you know, the, the number one name that Ohio state fans should start to be aware of is offensive lineman, Jordan Seaton. Uh, he's from the Washington DC area. I think he's actually from actual Washington DC. See, it's weird because I'm from the Washington DC area. So I just say DC and I'm actually from Northern Virginia. Uh, we actually had a texter from the seven Oh three today. So shout out whoever you are. Um, but He's from he he goes to IMG Academy. He's the 36th ranked recruit in the country, and more importantly, and this should be music to Ohio State fans' ears, he plays offensive tackle, and that is exactly what this team needs. They they currently have three offensive linemen 
in this class. So that's the one big fish that is still uncommitted. That is the one out there that you know o- Ohio State is really interested in. I know he was just at Tennessee this past weekend, and it kind of sounds like that went really well for him. Uh, so they're in a battle, and they're going to be in a battle for the remainder of the you know the remainder of this period up until signing day of of trying to bring him in. But he's kind of the last one that you really look at and say, ah oh, man. He would be, he would really be something or, you know, he would really be, he would really add a different dynamic to this class. Um, you know, there's a couple other kids out there that um, you, we don't know of because Ohio State isn't going to broadcast that information that maybe they're trying to flip. Um, so if they're, if they do want to add a fourth, which I think we can all assume that they do, uh, we're not going to know of who that is until it gets closer to the finish line, at least right now, at least, and that's from my perspective. So, you know, we'll see if they try to flip anybody, but uh, in terms of the uncommitted guys that we know 100%, they're they're actively recruiting, it's Jordan Seaton. Yeah, to my knowledge, this seems like a situation where it's you end up with Jordan Seaton or you end up with three guys, and that's Ian Moore and the Armstrong twins, just because we're this late in the cycle, and it's very clear at this point that from you brought up the 703, so let's just go ahead and ask this question because I think it fits into this as well. From the 703, are we at a point in the recruiting cycle in the depth and development of the current roster where we should assume that the Mark Nave scholarship goes to a transfer portal offensive tackle versus another 2024 offensive lineman? I think yes. Anyway, even if they do get Seaton, you're probably going to hit the because listen, bringing in three for sure, four maybe, depending on what Seaton does, which is a big maybe because listen, that's I mean, he's a top 50 recruit, so Ohio State's not the only school in need of his services. Either way, I don't they're going to lose a lot of guys. Well, not a lot of guys, they're going to lose some in some significant guys off the starting lineup after this season. Josh Fryer can go pro if he wants to. Whether he does or not is to be seen, but he can go pro. Donovan Jackson probably is going to go pro. Two-year starter, three-year guy, former five-star recruit. He probably will go pro. We do this thing every year during senior day, Andrew, and you'll get to do it this year, where we predict the third-year guys who we think might stay and who might go. And you'll get to do it this year for the 2021 recruiting class. And that's guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Jack Sawyer, J.C. Tuimaloa, Donovan Jackson. And then Matthew Jones is in year six. So he's right. definitely gone. Yeah. So you <laughs> could lose yeah. three. You're probably going to definitely lose one, probably a second one as you're over your guards. And we'll see what Josh Fryer decides to do. But either way, there are also just some older guys who are not starting right now who have – not really done much, and maybe they might want to look for an opportunity elsewhere. I think regardless of what happens with Jordan Seaton, they're going to have to hit the portal again because right now this offensive line is not cutting it, and this offensive line recruiting isn't necessarily cutting it either. But the Nave recruitment has nothing to do with the Jordan Seaton recruitment at all. They would have – in a world where Nave had been developing the way maybe they wanted him to, then it, Nave – Seaton would have just been the fourth guy in the class. Wait, no, am I doing that math fight? No, five. Yeah, because yeah, they had four. Seaton would have been the fifth one. guy, yeah. Yeah, fifth guys. I said this on the Monday pod. This is why I'm a journalist, because I can't do math, amongst right. other reasons. But that's uh, among the reasons why. So Seaton is a independent thing of whatever Nave was. He's not a replacement. He's a we-need-this-guy-anyway conversation. But I do think, Andrew, given the play we've seen from the offensive line, given the recruiting we've seen, a portal addition this offseason wouldn't be crazy. No, I think a portal addition this offseason is probably likely. 
um, because just kind of play this out. Hinsman at center. Okay, there you go. There's one. One out of five. Hooray. Uh, then you got some questions because let's just say both guards are gone. For, for kicks and giggles, both guards are gone. But Josh Fryer stays. You have Simmons. So are you? First off, the question should be: Are you comfortable with Simmons and Fryer with Montgomery pushing with Mahalski there? Like, are are you comfortable with that group of four as your two deep on the offensive side on the offensive tackles? Because if the answer is no, then you need to hit the portal because. You're going to have an entirely new receiving core, you would assume. You're going to have a veteran quarterback if Kyle McCord stays, and that's going to be helpful. Um, But I don't know. I I look at this and see, one, you might not be comfortable with the guys you have anyway. But then Jackson and Jones go, and then who are we talking about? All right, Shibola. All right, can he play tackle? Can he play guard? You know, then you're Vic Cut. You know, can Vic Cutler play guard? What about James? What about Enoch Vamahi? Like, do you feel comfortable having you know a you know uh, a, so you need six on the interior if you want a two deep there? I think I think that there is a lot of consternation about some people. You know, oh, you know, they, they don't have a really great backup at you know whatever position. I think some people sometimes do get that. It's really hard to do that. Like. If any team in the country gets down to their third whatever, you know their their fourth whatever, you're in a you're in a place of trouble. So I mean, are you comfortable with like Shabola, Hinsman, Cutler, James, Vamahi? How many was that? Five, whatever it is. Like, are you comfortable with that? And then maybe like, does Ian Moore factor in? Like, there there's guys that you you just kind of run out of numbers of proven quantity. And or proven quality. So yeah, I, I look at this and say, you need a portal addition. And frankly, I think you could make an argument that aside from center, and I think Hinsman's been fine. Uh, and you know, in his redshirt freshman year, you would expect him to get a lot better. But I think you could make a really good case that of the positions on the offensive line, guard or tackle, left or right, of the four available, I think you could make a case that a portal addition should come from either one of those spots it doesn't really matter so let's do a philosophy question because i thought time austin had a really good question should the buckeyes rethink their entire o-line recruiting strategy seems like we might be better off recruiting in our own backyard as development or the occasional paris johnson five-star recruit who turned into the who's in top tackle in this class and turned into the top tackle in the nfl draft three years later and offering large nil deals to transfers with O-line genuinely developing later in life, would this be a better overall strategy? So basically what Ty is asking here is, should we, as Ohio State fans, want Ohio State to just find developmental guys in their backyard and then focus on using the portal to get the rest of their depth right. instead of you know recruiting guys? I'm going to say no. To that, hopefully I'm, I'm understanding your question correctly, Ty. I'm going to say no to that. Ohio State, the portal should be for programs like Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and 
USC, once that really gets rolling, and Texas, like these upper echelon teams who are supposed to be competing for national championships, they shouldn't be where you're going to build your entire room. I think they should be quick fixes. And that's what the portal has been to Ohio State. Justin Fields is a two-year fix, but he's still a fix for you because you didn't like what you had in your quarterback room. Trey Sermon, one-year fix. Jonah Jackson, one-year fix. Tanner McAllister, one-year fix. Uh, who's some tra- Ja Carter hasn't necessarily been the one-year fix they were looking for, but that's just because Lathan Ransom, Sonny Styles, and Josh Proctor have been really awesome with those positions. But they have been using the portal as these fixes. Josh Simmons is a fix to the problem. He's not the solution. He's a Band-Aid to the problem. And this is Josh, – Josh Simmons, it's not his fault why he's in this position. It's Ohio State's fault. They missed out on recruits. They missed out on tackles. They didn't close the deal on guys like J.C. Latham, and they didn't land Caden Proctor. That's two guys who are from Big Ten country. Uh, J.C. Latham, of course, went to IMG Academy in Florida, but I think he's from Wisconsin. Caden Proctor's from Iowa, and he was committed to Iowa before he flipped to Alabama. Those are guys in the Big Ten footprint, and you just didn't land them. If you had those two guys right now, I mean, Caden's – Proctor, I don't know if he's still starting for Alabama, but he was to start the year. And so, listen, you got to land those guys. I think there is a a small window, though, of if you have Paris Johnson, you've got to land him. Because Paris Johnson brings up a bigger issue, and that's the concept of the two types of players in Ohio that are going to be Ohio State football recruits one day. There's the Paris Johnsons, the Jack Sawyers, the Zach Harrisons, the C.J. Hickses, the Sonny Styles, you take them immediately. You offer them. If they want to commit to you early, you let them do that, and then they help you build your class. And that's what – well, Zach Harrison didn't do that so much, but that's what Jack Sawyer did. That's what Paris Johnson did, even though Ryan Day had to re-recruit him once Urban Meyer ret- retired. That's what C.J. Hicks did. That's what Sonny Styles did. That's what these guys were doing. Those are guys you take immediately, and you build your classes around those guys. But then there's the other side of that where you have guys like Mark Knave, where you have guys like the Armstrong twins or maybe this as well, where you don't take them immediately. You slow, I don't want to say you slow play it, but Ohio is a developmental state when it comes to football because they don't have spring football. They don't get to do a lot of the stuff that they can do in Texas and California and Georgia. I know I'm going long-winded here. This is my job now. I talk for a living. This is It's amazing. But – those are the kids. It, it, the Mark Nave recruitment is so interesting there because did they have to offer Mark that early? Maybe not, but they saw something, so they did. But typically with guys of Mark Nave's profile, they will hold off, slow play it, make them camp a couple of times, see how that development goes, and then come around on the back end and get those guys. Reggie Powers, who was a Michigan State commit as a safety, they did that with him. He just didn't want to wait, so he ended up committing to Michigan State. Now Mel Tucker's off the field issues have situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have created a situation where now Reggie powers is back on the market. So we'll see given where Ohio state safety recruiting is in this cycle, whether or not that's a race they get back into or not, but those types of guys that you don't have to take right away, but they are in your backyard. So you have to kind of gauge when you're going to go after those guys. Cause they grew up being Buckeyes and everybody wants to play for the hometown school, the school they ended up gr- growing up for. So I think you take those guys, but what you don't want to do is end up with what you had in 2020, where you took Trey LaRue, you took Josh Fryer, you took Grant Tuton, all these in-state big 10 pro blueprint guys who were lower rated guys. Only one of them hits and the other two Grant Tutan and Trey LaRue have not necessarily done anything in now four years, four years. So you still have to – Ohio State has to keep swinging for these big-time recruits. 
They're probably not going to – Jordan Seaton's their last chance to get one in the 2024 class. But when you go into the 2025 class, you look at a guy like David Sanders, who was at your spring game this year. Can they win a race like that? Because the idea of, hey, there is a starting left tackle job open for a five-star recruit, that still stands in this situation. So, Andrew, that's where I'm at. I think they still need to continue to swing. I just think they need to do a better job of landing these guys because they can't start to rely on the portal to build up their depth because that's just not where Ohio State needs to be. No, and I think, look, Ohio. I'm not comparing Ohio State to any of these programs. I just want to use this as an example. Um, Michigan State built up their entire team essentially with the portal, and I understand that they've got some other issues, but look where it kind of went after that great year with Kenneth Walker. Right. Like, look how that ended. Uh, USC got Caleb Williams. Hooray. They got him in the portal. Lincoln Riley did that whole portal thing. Hooray. Good for them. Their offense is but great. Also, yeah. But, but even then, well, it's like Lincoln Riley just took everything that he still liked from Oklahoma yep. and moved it to Los Angeles. <laughs> yep. And and they're still trying. I, I understand Alex Grinch is there, but their defense is, is a mess mm. and their defense is not great. And I think not great is probably putting it lightly. Uh, Colorado just did this a lot. Now we're in year one and it's been fairly good, you know, much better than people expected and much better than people anticipated. Um, we'll see how it goes in year two. I mean, I don't I we'll see who, how they're going to do this whole portal thing every year, but you can do that, but there are risks, right? Like if you bring in four portal guys and let's say they all flop or one of them is fine and you know you, you, the numbers just aren't great then not only are you hurting yourself on the current roster you are taking away development at the probably the most developmental position in in college football like i understand quarterback is really difficult <laughs> trust me i understand that might sound stupid but th- you know there's a mental side of playing football but there's a really there's a physical difference. Yeah, you know, there are kids that come out of high school. It's a much different position to try to develop, for sure. Right, there are kids that come out of high school that are physically ready to play quarterback. They just got to learn the offense and they got to learn the game and they got to catch up. There are kids that come out of high school football and you look at them and say they are three years away <laughs> from competing. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're bad. It doesn't, you know, I think, you know, you can hear that at, at corner or linebacker or safety or whatever. And you hear kids three, Oh, it's a developmental project. Well, offensive linemen are very, very often a development position. So I don't know. Like, I think in terms of, I think that there is a lot of worry that Ohio state isn't, getting these top guys and you know you need to go into the portal and get them and I don't disagree with the notion that the portal should be the patch that you make in January and in May when you look at your team and say what do we need you know you look at your team and say hey we lost some guys here what do we need or we're not as good here as we as we thought what do we need like that's the way that you need to use the portal uh it's basically like free agency in the NFL what do they always say Good teams build through the draft. Good teams keep homegrown talent. They pay homegrown talent and they keep their homegrown talent and they develop them through the years. Good teams don't do what Dan Snyder did with the Washington Redskins, like however many years ago, and give $100 million contracts to Albert Hainsworth and everybody else in the world and just say, you know what? We're going to just going to 
throw money at the problem and hope it fixes it. So you can't do that either. So I think there's a balance. Now, I looked this up the other day. Um, I'm also going long-winded, but I looked this up the other day in, you know, I, I wrote a story for the site uh, for one of our Hey Andrew segments. And somebody said, you know, why, why can it, in this regard, why can't we get offensive tackles? Why can't Ohio State get this high level offensive tackle? Now, I get it, but I looked this up in the, in the 27, in the 247 sports composite rankings in, in 2023, there were 13 offensive linemen that were in the top 100 of the composite rankings. Uh, those players committed to 10 different schools. So I understand that a lot of people are sitting there thinking that, oh, we're losing out to Michigan. We're losing out to Ohio State on these recruits. That's not necessarily accurate. Because, like, listen, listen to the list of schools here. Alabama, Miami, LSU, Miami, Georgia, Penn State, Texas A&M, Penn State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, Utah, and Oklahoma. Those are where those kids committed. 2024, there's only seven kids on the offensive line that are in the top 100. Those players are committed to Texas, uncommitted, Notre Dame, South Carolina, uncommitted, South Carolina, and Alabama. Notice I didn't say Iowa. Notice I didn't say Michigan four times. Like Michigan hasn't pulled a top 100 recruit in 2022 or 2023, and they won the Joe Moore Award both of those years. So if that doesn't tell you how much of a development position the offensive line is, then oh, then then we have, you know, then I don't know what to do. <laughs> like the offensive line is certainly a position that you you absolutely have to develop. Now, I want to give. I think there was a lot of people upset in when I when I asked for questions uh, when our subtext subscribers, you know, would do that from time to time on subtext where we just say, "Hey, what are you guys thinking? What do you guys want to know?" And I think there were a lot of people upset with Justin Fry, and I understand it. But Justin Fry got here in 2022, and I do want to give him some time to develop an offensive line because. It's the way that this works in recruiting, where if you get a five-star kid, it's the greatest kid in the world. And if you get a three-star kid, it's the most underrated recruit in the country, and it's a great deal, and everybody else missed on him, and they got a hidden gem. And then if you know another school signs a three-star recruit, they're a poverty program. I, I, look, I, I, see, I see how this all works on Twitter, but three-star offensive linemen, four-star offensive linemen are, are not you know maybe the death knell that you know kind of getting some of those other, you know, if you get three-star quarterbacks and you just consistently bring them in in the Big Ten, you're not competing with Ohio State. You're not competing with Michigan. You're not competing with Penn State. Offensive line, that's not true. So you can develop these guys. So it is so much more of a a developmental position. So you absolutely need to develop. And I just want to see how Justin Fry does that. And then if you have problems at the end of the year, like they're probably going to have this year, then you hit the portal and see see where it leads you. I don't know if I totally agree with you with the Justin Fry point. Okay. Because I think that was a valid thing to say a year ago when it's like, yo, listen, he's trying to pick up the pieces here, figure it out fast after a couple of years of Greg Shajawa and maybe not getting it done. So it's, and the promise was there of like, okay, you need to at least get these three Ohio guys. And he got them Luke Montgomery, Josh Padilla, and Austin Sierraville. Luke Montgomery pushed for a starting role this year and is putting himself in a position to do the same in a year from now. And Josh Padilla and Austin Sierravel are two guys that they really believe can be starting offensive linemen on the interior for them one day. And they do have that upside. So kudos to you. But, you know, and then you went and got Miles Walker, who is more of a long-term prospect to begin with. But you missed on all the national guys. But it's like, okay, I get it. Year one, at least you did what you were supposed to do. 
give him a year, and then we'll see what he can do going forward. And it's been a year. And it's really the same thing here. You got the Armstrong twins who Devontae and Deontay are two quality guys, but also they're in-state guys who would have come here regardless of who the offensive line coach was. You had Mark Nave, and like I said, it was more of a probably a mutual parting of ways there. So whatever. Ian Moore is, I think, a little underrated, in my opinion, and what people have talked about him, including you. I think he's a little underrated. I, I don't know if he's a first-rounder, future first-rounder or not, but I do think he's a little underrated as a guy who's sitting outside of the top 100 right now. But even then, he's from Indiana. He's from right there, right? I, we're, we're still waiting on the – like Jordan Seaton would be, you went out and you won a guy, where it doesn't make any sense why you mm-hmm. won that guy. Because you don't have what T- Tim Walton has as a benefit right now. There isn't a Bryce West of offensive lineman or an Aaron Scott of offensive lineman sitting in your backyard right now where it's like Tim Walton has done a great job revitalizing that cornerback room, but he's also done it with Ohio talent. But when you've got Ohio talent, you can do that. That might not be the case going forward. Now, there's Trey McNutt, who's from Ohio as well, but also he might have to go out and win a guy somewhere else eventually. Justin Fry doesn't have that benefit right now. He's got to go out and to down south or out west or southwest or wherever and go win a guy. And you lost out on Gary Lambert, which, listen, that might be more just personal preference for Gary Lambert, so it's whatever. You lost out on Brandon Baker to Texas. It's not like Brandon Baker's going to USC, you know, so it's not, oh, you lost out to the homeschool. He's going to the SEC Yep. as of next year. And now Jordan Seaton, you're in a battle with other SEC schools and other schools around the country to get him. But we're still – we're two years into this. And I know you can look at it as, hey, it's only been two years. Let's give it time. But I don't look at it like that. I look at it as it's been two years. Where's the splash? Where's the guy who is coming here because you beat out every other program for that guy? That So I, I hear where you're coming from. I think there's actually more to talk about on the field. Um, I understand that, you know, Ohio State – you lose Paris Johnson, you lose Dewan Jones, you lose Luke Whipler. Wow, I almost said Luke Lippler. Um, you lose Luke Whipler. Uh, you lose him. Like there's gonna be a drop. I think it's the same thing as quarterback. There's a lot of people who maybe are upset that the line isn't what it was last year, and I think that that might be a little bit unreasonable, especially when you've got you know a top. I think Paris Johnson went sixth. And you've got a guy who's currently starting for the Browns, who's in the fourth round, who probably should have went higher in the draft. And, you know, he's doing really well for the Browns. And then Whipler's on the Browns as well. Like, you've got talent that is just leaving, and there's nothing you can do about that. But it's your job to develop the talent that is there for the next year. So I think I, I, I hear I like I hear that argument that like the offensive line should be playing better this season than they are. Um, I do want to give it time, maybe just another, like if if we're at this point next year, then, oh yeah, then you've got problems. Um, but I, just for curiosity's sake, I I looked up, uh, Michigan's 2024 recruiting class while we were talking about this. Um, Andrew Sprague, he's a six foot eight tackle number 148 in the country out of Kansas city, Missouri, Blake Frazier, six foot five, 260 offensive tackle 167. He's out of Austin, Texas. Um, so you, you get two top 170 tackles at Michigan. Then here it gets, then it gets interesting. Uh, they got Luke Hamilton out of Avon, Ohio. He's a four-star offensive tackle, number 362 in the country. Uh, Ohio State did not offer him per his uh, 247 page. 
So they did why? not offer him. I was there when he camped, hoping to earn an offer. Offer it didn't come, and yep. then you know he went on. A, he had a moment where he was frustrated with the fact that Ohio State wasn't recruiting him higher, and I think Michigan took advantage of that as well. And it's part of the reason he's at Michigan, but also they're not recruiting on the same tier. So he might be good enough for what Michigan wants to do with his offensive sure. line, but Ohio State did not feel like he was what they were looking for in an offensive lineman. And then the the last point they for I know a lot of there were a couple of people that were curious about defensive line. Uh, they did get a kid. Michigan got a kid, Ted Hammond out of St. X in Cincinnati. Uh, but on the back to the offensive line, Ben Roebuck, St. Ed's in Lakewood, and Ohio State did not offer him either. Um, so that is where I'm really curious to see. Now, this is going to be years, but that is where I'm curious to see how that goes because we're talking about hey. Ohio State didn't have, you know, this kid in their backyard. They didn't have, you know, the the kid, the the Aaron Scott and the whoever that they could just they could, you know, go recruit with a bike if they really wanted to. Like it would be a long bike ride, but they could do it. <laughs> so like you could like the you know, you could you didn't you didn't have those type of kids available. Well, if Michigan gets those type of kids from Ohio, you get a kid from Avon and you get a kid from St. Ed's, then I got questions. Then I, I would have some, some fairly significant questions because that kid is starting on the offensive line with Deontay and Devontae Armstrong. Like, you, knew, you know who he is. <laughs> like, you know who Roebuck is. You know he's there. So that's yeah. where I would well, – my, but, but my, my whole point is, like, if we're talking about Ohio, like Ohio State not having – this in-state factory and wanting to go or not wanting, needing to go out of state to get some of these big time kids and to get some of these big time athletes. Like that's fine. But if you're going to miss on kids in Ohio, then that's another issue in and of itself. Yeah. But and that's, a, that's a, almost a hindsight conversation. It's like if Ben Roebuck and Luke Hamilton go to Michigan and they end up being starters and they're part of a Joe Moore award caliber offensive line one day then of course we're all going to look back on it and go man why didn't Ohio State offer those kids what weren't you seeing that clearly Michigan was seeing but I, I don't think missing out on Luke Hamp two guys who are more like four, four star three star recruits where you had them on camp you evaluated them mm-hmm. heavily multiple times and you just decided you didn't want to go in that favor I'm not going to knock them for that just because they ended up at Michigan I don't think that's the best way. That's the the conversation you're trying to have with them is like, well, you have these guys in your backyard. Why didn't you take them? That works four years from now if those guys end up being awesome. Yeah, that's, but yeah. if they only live up to what their current ranking is and they're never starters, but even if they are starters, but they're just okay at best. And we're looking at Ohio State's offensive line in what 2026, and we're looking at Michigan's line in 2026, and it's like, oh, they're kind of the exact same There's I don't three think Ohio kids be... on the offensive line or whatever yeah yeah like I don't unless Michigan's offensive line is just blowing Ohio State out of the water I don't think anybody's gonna look at that as oh Ohio State missed out how could you miss out on Ohio guys but that that's so that's I, I think the motivation that Michigan has been able to use of the I feel spurned by Ohio State probably helps in the rivalry game when you play them for sure Listen, some of that matters, but I, right now, I don't think it's an issue that they just decided that we evaluated two kids from our backyard and decided that they're not what we're looking for in offensive linemen. Because they also, for all sense and purposes, just did it with Mark Nave. They just let him commit at one point. But at the end of the day, they felt like he wasn't the guy that they could look to. 
The Justin Fry. The jury is still out on it, but you it's it's fair to say you can be concerned about where this is headed. Because in year one, yes, he developed a really good offensive line. But also Paris Johnson was Paris Johnson. Correct. He was exactly what everybody expected him to be. And Dewan Jones had already spent the year before showing us that his ranking didn't have the proper context around it because he was a guy playing basketball for most of his life. Matthew Jones has had been here for five years at that point. Donovan Jackson, that's a five-star kid from Texas, but with strong Ohio ties. While Luke Whipler, because of some things that were happening with Harry Miller off the field, which we didn't know at the time, but now we know that, Luke Whipler stepped into a starting role as a second-year guy. So it wasn't like he was taking over a offensive line that didn't already, already have a level of high expectations because of the names on it. This year was always going to be the first year to really gauge how well things were going because Josh Fryer is, I don't, I wouldn't say he was the plan to be a starter one day. You probably wanted to get a higher rated guy than that, but he is, he's now your starting right tackle. Josh Simmons clearly wasn't the plan because he's a guy from the transfer portal right now. The only two guys, three guys who were planned starters. If you go back four or five years ago and look at these guys as recruits and say, Hey, which of these guys are you going to be starters on Ohio State's offensive line? You'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Carson Hensman, Donovan Jackson, maybe Matthew Jones, because I don't know if people would have thought when he was a recruit that he'd still be here for six years. But that caliber of player being your right guard is what you're looking for. The tackle situation, this is not necessarily the plan. So the fact that you changed offensive line coaches and the offensive line recruiting hasn't gotten any better and the offensive line issues are what they are, they're a problem right now. And you're not really sure when you look ahead at future rosters how that gets solved because you're missing out on highly rated recruits. That was fun. It's kind of dark though. We're gonna take a break there. <laughs> Offensive line is yeah. Is I mean, I will say, I will say the <laughs> the the vibe of the textures today uh, was dark. So I think we it adequately is. got the message. We we correctly portrayed the vibe that we that we had from from the texters when i sent out that text this morning i figured there was going to be an offense a lot of offensive line i would say like 75 to 80 percent of the questions and sometimes just outright comments about the offensive line and recruiting was uh was was fairly dark yeah so we're going to take a break there hopefully lighten things up and when we come back we'll answer a few more questions from our buckeye talk texters here on buckeye talk If you want to air out your grievances about Ohio State's recruiting or even say something positive, listen, you can say whatever you want. That's not not whatever you want. But listen, if you want to talk with us and talk, we'll talk back to you guys sometimes. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. If you want to ask a question on the Buckeye Talk podcast, if you want to just get news, any news we get, whether we're talking with Ryan Dan, Jim Knowles at a press conference, whether we're at a game after that, or they're at interviews on Wednesday night, anything we get goes to your phone first before we do anything else with a two-week free trial that will get you through the Maryland and the Purdue game. So sign up, 614-350-3315. From the 440, how does the future of the Big Ten impact the decisions high school players will make? That's from Adam in the 440. Andrew, the Big Ten is adding four teams next year. They're all from the West Coast. If you were a kid from Washington and maybe you liked Ohio State to begin with, you liked them, but you didn't want to go that far away from home. 
How does the impact of having four teams from the West Coast joining the Big Ten, does that help or hurt Ohio State's chances with getting some of these West Coast kids? I think it helps, um, but I don't know if it's yeah, – I, I think the, the question, you know, how does the future for Big Ten, I think that that's the correct way to phrase it because I think everybody wants to look at it as, oh, well, it's a good thing for our program because now we have, a, now we have now we can recruit more nationally. You know, I know, you know, when, when we talked about, you know, Notre Dame recruiting, that was one of the things that they always like to say is that we recruit nationally because we play in California and Florida and blah, 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 blah. And that is what the Big Ten can do now. But I don't know if it's we're going to recruit nationally because, you know, we play there. I, I think it's kind of the, the downfall of conferences that is really going to impact how players, you know, make decisions because you saw this a lot like with other sports. I know there, I think it was Oregon softball team. They kind of raised hell immediately when, you know, when Oregon and Washington joined the big 10. And I think I, I forgive me if that's wrong, but there were, there was a couple, you know, non, you know, major sports, non revenue sports, if you will, you know, AKA not, you know, football or men's and women's basketball that were pretty upset by this because they're saying, look, we committed to play at a place where our parents can go see us. And that is great. But if conferences are dead, like by, and by, by that, I mean, conferences as we knew them, if they're dead, then that I think really kind of makes this even more national than it already is. Because if you're a kid from Washington and you're going to commit and you wanted to stay home, well, Washington's going to join the Big Ten. So, yeah, you know, you know, you can stay, you, you can go to school two hours away. You probably know people there, but you're also going to be traveling a lot. So I don't know if that matters. You know, if you're, you know, you're playing all over the country, you know, if you're, you know, like if you're a kid that is looking at like maybe like an Oregon State level school, what in the world's happening with Oregon State? Like, where are they going to play? You know, so there's there's no regionality to this anymore, and in terms of college sports, so I think it's going to have an impact on kids. In that, you know, for Ohio State, I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily, I would definitely say that the Seattle area, for example, is not the recruiting hotbed that Los Angeles is, but now you do get a chance to go up and check some kids out when you go up there and recruit. You know, now you have USC and UCLA and it's a lot easier to schedule a, Hey, we're going to go visit this kid down in San Diego or this kid up in, you know, uh, up in Sherman Oaks or wherever in, in LA or right around LA or, you know, whatever. And I think you're seeing that with like the SEC and because the SEC now you know, you get Texas and Oklahoma, like you're adding different kind of areas of the country. And, and I think the Big Ten has truly added a bunch of different areas of the country. So I don't look at this as, you know, the I, I, I should say this. I look at this as I think kids are going to start to see if they haven't already that regionality is gone and regionality is dead in college football. And who knows what's you know, what conference their school might end up at in a couple of years. I mean, would anybody be surprised if there's more realignment on the way or, you know, or if, you know, 
whatever happens. So I, I just think the kids are going to have to start to look at this as where I want to go to school. Regionality means less. Um, it's obviously going to matter still. You're still going to have kids that want to stay closer to home, but I think it is going to start to matter less. And it's just a fact that the rest of college football is kind of, I don't want this to sound negative, although everybody knows how I feel about this. The rest of college football is kind of collapsing in terms of like the structures of it. So I think that that's probably the biggest part. I love it. That's all I'll say on the matter. I love it. I think this helps Ohio State recruit. They're already recruiting as well as they can be out in the West Coast. I mean, you got JT Trimaloa and the Mecca Buka, who are both from Washington. Your your last quarterback was CJ Stroud. He was from California. You got Chris Olave out of California. I think this only helps that. A couple more because we weren't really long on the offensive line talk. Yeah, we did. From the 4 4 oh, a lot of Cleveland guys. Shouts to Cleveland because, you know, we work for Cleveland.com. <laughs> How does OSU take that next step in recruiting? I'm mostly happy with OSU recruiting, and I understand that compared to 99% of college football, it's excellent. It just feels like OSU should be able to be in the conversation for the recruiting crowd. They always seem to lose on one or two guys that could make that difference. So I'm going to simplify this question here. And I'm going to use some numbers before I do it. Since Urban Meyer showed up in 2012, which means his first official recruiting class was that 2013 class, he has had, there have been three Ohio State recruiting classes who have finished number two in the recruiting rankings. The 20s, no, excuse me, four. Yes, I was right the first time. The 2013 class, you know, that's the class with Joey Bosa and Von Bell and Eli Apple, Jalen Marshall, uh, Ezekiel Elliott was in that class. And then in 2017, he did it again. That's the Chase Young, Baron Browning, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers class, Sean Wade. And then he did it again in 2018. Nicholas Petit Frere, Jeremy Rucker, Teron Vincent, Cameron Babb, Josh Proctor, Chris Olave. I mentioned before, that's that class. And then Ryan Day has now done it once in 2021. And that was a class that at the time it signed was one of the five highest rated classes ever, like in the history of the modern recruiting world. Alabama also went crazy in that class. So they were also top five, but that's the Mecca Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Kyle McCord, Travion Henderson, Donovan Jackson class. I don't know what it looks like for Ohio State to get higher than two as a northern school. And I'm not saying that negatively because the schools that they ran up into in those years were Alabama, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, like these recruiting juggernauts in the South who are competing for a lot of the same national kids that Ohio State is recruiting for. So I don't think that while it's an interesting thing to follow, and this 2024 class is in a similar situation, it's the number two class in the country behind Georgia right now. Andrew, I don't know what it looks like for them to get any higher than two, but if I had to force you, because I can do that as though it's this pod, to come up with a scenario where Ohio State gets the signing day and they have the number one recruiting class in the country, what does that look like? There's a bigger Southern pipeline. Um, I think that that would probably be it because, you know, look at that 2021 class and, and just, I'm not going to say the names, but just listen, like you mentioned the name, like the big names, listen to the, listen to where they're from. These are the top kids, Texas, number one, overall Washington, number two, overall. Um, actually, let me make that composite list before I do that. Uh, Texas one overall, Washington four overall, Ohio five overall, Washington five overall. 
Texas, five overall, five stars. I mean, Virginia, five stars. Uh, let's see, Kyle McCord, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, 28th overall. Yeah, like, notice where I said and notice where I didn't. Mm-hmm. Four-star player, 50th overall, Missouri. Four-star player, 53rd overall, Ohio. Four-star player, 73rd overall, Georgia. Four-star player, 83rd overall, North Carolina. Four-star player, 87th overall, Ohio. Then Marv at 97, which is kind of hilarious that Marv was that, you know, that's where he yeah. was in Pennsylvania. At the time, um, it wasn't at the time, crazy sure, as it, it, it is funny to look back on those things. But yes. I didn't say Florida. I didn't say, I said, I think one Georgia. Like, mm-hmm. you can, if you start to win those areas, you're going to feel a lot better. Um, I wonder what that looks like. I mentioned the conference realignment question. I wonder what that looks like. I mean, like, this is another question for another podcast for another day for another four hours. But, like, could the, I mean, does the ACC dissolving or does the ACC blowing up and, two teams from the ACC, let's one team from Florida and or let one team from the Carolinas. Does one of them joining the Big Ten make it easier for Ohio State to recruit that area? Because now you play down there and not only can you play down there, you can show face down there more frequently. And that really matters obviously for recruits. So I think winning the Southern pipeline would be good, but I, I do want to be clear here that like, when so like I'm I'm glad this person said you know I understand that compared to 99 percent of college football it's excellent because it is because almost every program in the country would kill for Ohio State's recruiting classes every single year um, so maybe they should be in contention for the recruiting crown but where they have been recruiting is not prohibitive to winning national championships. I think Ohio State fans when we we always do this we always bring up the average star rating. I think that is the more important number when talking about Ohio State recruiting classes because the overall score points is also just based on how many kids you have in your class. This is the top five right now in recruiting class for 2024. Georgia has 26 commits, worth 312.94 points, but an average score rating of 93.52. That's second, even though they're the number one class. Ohio State only has 22 commits. They have five five stars, which is the most of any school right now. The only other schools with multiple are Georgia with four. Texas A&M has two. Florida's got two. Alabama's got two. Florida State's got two. Oklahoma and Tennessee also have two. And then Auburn, Texas, and Clemson also have two as well. But Ohio State average star rating is first overall, 93.87. With a, but their point is 302.5. So that's behind Georgia. That's what puts them behind Georgia. But And then the rest is Texas A&M. 22 commits, 284 points, but their average score star rating is 92.39. Florida is fourth in the nation with 21 commits, overall points, 283.25, but their average star rating is 92.23. And Alabama right now has moved up to fifth with 20 commits, worth 280.11 points, but 92.14 average star rating. That average star rating. Whether you're talking about the 2021 class, you're talking about the 2017 class, 2018 class, the 2013 class, it's always going to be a conversation of quality over quantity because they're never going to have these 30, 28-man recruiting classes unless the roster suggests that they should have 28 just because they've got that many people leaving. Like This probably would have been the year to do that because there are a lot of guys are going to be draft eligible after this year and they might lose a bunch of guys. but Ohio State 
25, at least in the day era, has been a bigger class for Ryan Day's Ohio State recruiting classes. But if you look at those average star ratings, which is about what the quality of the class is, even last year in that 2023 cycle where you only had one five-star in Brandon Ennis, and it felt like you missed out on some guys for what felt like NIL reasons. The class was still quality. It just didn't have a large quantity. So I think for Ohio State to actually get that number one spot for whatever it's worth, it would have to be in a year where they're still recruiting at the quality level they're recruiting at, but they also need it in quantity. While also, just because of the changing landscape of college football, maybe some of these Southern schools start splitting some guys. So Georgia right now with 26 commits, what if they only had like 22 heading into October because maybe Texas came in and stole some guys or Florida State gets a rolling so they stole some guys or, you know, Alabama steals some guys. You no know, one's down the list there. I think it needs that combination yeah. of both things where it's just you're hitting the perfect window where Ohio State is already recruiting at a level where when you look at their average star rating year in, year out, it's among the top three in the country. But also, they just came into the year knowing we need a bigger class. And so it set up a world for them to have the number one recruiting class. But I wouldn't get so caught up in that number one ranking as much. I do think, though, it's got to also – it can't – trying to figure out how to say this as well. Right now, the Ohio State recruiting classes are clearly being carried by the quarterback and the wide receiver commit recruiting, clearly. Sure. So Tim Walton – and what he's done on a recruiting trail with the cornerbacks, that helps. If the Larry Johnson being responsible for two five-stars in this cycle, that helps. Can the linebackers take that next step with James Laurinaitis being there, even though he can't go out on the road right now? Tony Alford, I mean, he'll have some cycles where you're going, what are you doing? But he also has cycles where he gets Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor in the same year. And he just did that this year with Jordan Peoples and, and James Peoples, excuse me, and Jordan Lyle. So can that continue to be consistent? If the offensive line recruiting can get back to where it needs to be, and if Perry Eliano can ever get those things rolling, where there are small blips in the recruiting classes, if those can get more consistent, mixed with maybe Ohio State just needs a big class and continues to recruit at a quality level at some of the spots they already are, that's how it happens. But I wouldn't focus too much on that because that's a hard, that's a hard line to walk because you're competing with schools who are in the regions of which you need those kids from to get a class that would be the number one class in the country. Yeah. And just if it's just to add in real quick, um, you know, you mentioned a point uh, I think NIL could actually help them in this regard, not only bring in players, but I mean, if you like the number two player in the country, I know he's from Missouri, but the number two player in the country is committed to Missouri and that just feels weird. And the number eight player in the country is committed to Texas tech, right? Like, like, like there are situations like that the number 12 player in the country dylan stewart he's committed to south carolina like those are kids that typically end up at georgia alabama that's how you get you know 2021 and 2022 georgia so if you know if you can get more elijah rushing type kids that go to arizona that stay home um you know that you know that are that are okay with not you know going to alabama georgia i think that that could help as well you know the mm-hmm. rise of miami the rise of florida you know, some other programs that are really kind of helping. I think that that could kind of really even things out as well. Let's go with And Saban more. retiring. And Nick Saban just saying I'm he's going to go. <laughs> just Nick Saban going, saying he's going to sit on a lake somewhere. That would be good news for every other coach in college football. 
Yeah, I'm gonna let you put that one out there. I'm, I'll believe that Alabama is truly dead when they actually die. I think they might be in a. That's what I'm saying. Off year yeah, this it'd year. be good for everybody this else. One, yeah, I don't know about. You know, it'd be good for Kirby Smart because <laughs> clearly you know, be the king of the SEC all by himself here. Well, let's end with this one because this is more of a philosophy one too from the four four zero. With the type of defensive line they're recruiting lately, wouldn't a base three four front make more sense? They say Houston will play defensive end, but he's similar to JT, where he will play around 275-plus, especially with guys like Houston, Davis, Moore, Jason Moore is who they're referring to in the last class, in that defensive line room. Ah! No? I think they're recruiting guys who fit a four-down front. Andrew, is that... Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think so too. I think I mean that's what I mean that's what Jim Knowles knows. Like obviously you you can adapt and obviously you can change um you know, but you you know, you look at the the 2023 class. I mean Jason Moore, like I know he got bigger um you know, but you know, Jason Moore, are you looking at him as as, as a three tech, like as a as a defensive end in a 3-4? you know, that's fine. But I also think if you're going to do that, you need to recruit a different type of linebacker as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not just the defensive line. You need to recruit a type of linebacker that can play in that 34 and play that outside edge, but also get into coverage. I I just don't know if they're doing that. Like, I don't look at like Justin Scott is pretty clearly a three tech or a one tech player. And, you know, he's, he's going to play on the interior. I, he's not a nose, but I don't think he's a, a three, four end. Um, you know, Edric Houston, I, I get where that's coming from. Um, but Edric Houston, he he's not an interior player in a 34 because an interior player in a 34, you need them to be, you know, decent pass rushers. But you, you obviously need them to be a little bit bigger in stature, too. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that they're kind of recruiting that because. You know, what, what is the most important thing if you are going to recruit a true 34? Uh, you need a nose tackle and you need a big nose tackle. And, and I just, I mean, you look at the recruiting classes, um, I guess Cade McDonald in the 2023 class could kind of fill that mold, but I don't see one in 2024. And, and I just don't know if that, you know, I, I just don't see that as a fit. I think the more interesting thing here is what happens whenever Larry Johnson leaves? Correct. Whether that's after this year, whether that's 45 years from now, I'm not putting a timetable on him because we've been doing that for six years and yet here he is still coaching. But Jim Knowles introduced the Jack position last year and it didn't necessarily work out. And it doesn't look like through four games, at least we haven't seen much of the Jack at all. And they've recruited one guy who's expected to play it. And that's Joshua Mickens, who's a true freshman right now. But it's not a part of this defense right now. And it makes sense why it's not a part of this defense. You've got two five-star edge rushers that you think are ready to pop and Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo out. You've got some depth behind them in Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson. And then you've got some interior guys with Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, and Ty, and Ty Hamilton, and maybe Taiwan Malone to a lesser extent, at least through the snap counts, through four games, that you believe in. You believe in that defensive front, sure, you're relying on it. But does that Jack become a more prominent role at some point? during Knowles' tenure here, whether that's next year or the year after that, whenever that happens, then you start having that conversation of, okay, how much differently is Ohio State recruiting its defensive line when you know that this position that Jack is going to be a more 
normal part of the defense, but that's not the case right now. So it's not even it's it's I'm not gonna say it's turned into the bullet because we've at least seen the Jack play football. We did in 2022. We never really saw the bullet turn into much, but it's something that's not necessarily in the back of our heads right now. It's something that's maybe further down the line whenever maybe Larry Johnson retires, whether that's this year or whatever amount of years after this year. We'll wrap it up there. We had a lot more than that. We'll probably do another one of these in the coming weeks here. And then Andrew Andrew does his hey, Andrews. So you'll get them there as well. So sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. We always get good questions, whether it's recruiting, whether it's football, whether it's basketball every so often, and whether it's nonsense. We get a lot of good stuff there. And like I said, anything that happens, any news, anything, we text it first before we do anything else. As you're listening to this, as a matter of fact, we're probably texting stuff out from Ryan Day and Jim Knowles' press conference on Tuesday as Ohio State prepares to take on Maryland on Saturday. So for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.